Well, that song we just sang, uh, hopefully you saw this from Psalm 22. Um, What we have in the Bible is basically a songbook right in the middle. And so some of those phrases might be foreign and harder to sing, but as uh, a people, um, a people of God, this is uh, what the church has sung for a long time. And so it adds some richness to our worship that we actually, we sing the word of God together. Um, and so I didn't plan my, tra- I was going to make a different transition, but anyway, here we are this morning, the end of Philippians. Um, and uh, Philippians, uh, we've been in here for several weeks. As we get to the end here, uh, finally, as Paul says he's going to wrap up a few times, but like any good pastor, he doesn't actually do that. He just warns people, you know, when you say in conclusion, more people listen, and so that's what Paul has done. And now he gets to this point, and he uh, talks about contentment. Uh, We live in an era where there is more to do at any moment, any moment of your life. There's more options for you to do something than any time in the history of the world. Okay, just think of uh, TV. If you're my age, if you're mid-40s or maybe a little bit younger, you probably remember suffering as a child. You didn't know it was suffering, but we only had three channels. And you had to hold the antenna up, and you didn't have a remote control. And if you did, it was like a brick. And you could only watch a show when the network put it on. I know, young kids, that's foreign to them. Uh, And as a kid, Sarah and I have talked about this, where our parents would say, hey, you can't watch that show until your room's clean. And you knew you only had 15 minutes. You can't say that anymore. Because you can turn this on at any time. So it's not just TVs and movies, it's sports. No longer do you have to wait till the season of that sport to actually play that sport. You can play almost any sport year-round in different leagues. Careers, endless possibility of options. You could do almost anything you want. Just make it up and figure out how to get a job doing that. Travel. Almost nearly the entire world is accessible to you. Dating and marriage. No longer uh, would you just think about the people that lived in your small village or town within a five-mile radius as the only options to marry. Now it's across the world. And so what's happened is we have all of these options, and you would think that with all these options, we'd be more content. We'd have more peace. But it's not. It's crippling. So what we have in our culture is this what's next thought. I know we're doing this now, but what's next? What's the next thing? We lose a sense of boredom, which is actually really healthy for your brain, especially kids, for you to be bored. Our culture is also ripe with discontentment. And when I talk about our culture, it's you and me. Discontentment, the unhappiness that stems from a failure in hopes, dreams, and expectations. 
What would it take for you to be content? What, would, what does contentment look like for you? Contentment, you can describe it as a, a state of being full. Then the question becomes, full of what? What do you need to be full of to have that contentment that you long for? What well, ruins contentment? Comparison, greed, entitlement, the whole fear of missing out. So what is the key to contentment? And does Paul, who wrote this book uh, nearly 2,000 years ago, does Paul have something to say that could translate to us now about what contentment really is? He lived in a whole different culture. You ate what you had or what you grew or what you could trade for, and that was it. Uh, to go and buy a house was a foreign thing. You lived wherever you could. Let me read uh, the end of Philippians chapter 4, beginning verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, you have, um, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me, to, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greeting, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Before Paul enters this topic of contentment, he reminds them again about his ability to rejoice in who they are. At the center of this letter is rejoicing, being thankful, the idea of contentment, and these are all issues of our heart. These are not external things because really if contentment was an external thing, uh, we would be the most contented culture to ever exist because we have everything at our fingertips. The message throughout this letter is not be more thankful, rejoice better, and be content. That's not why Paul is writing. 
He's writing to remind them of what it means to be in Christ. In chapter 2, who this Christ is and his, his humility. All of these things are fruits of knowing Christ. And these are all issues of our heart. We don't become thankful automatically when we get everything we want. Think about your own life. You probably have most everything you could want at this moment. You have what many people in the world would never dream of all the things you would have. You think that would make you more thankful. But automatically it does not because, well, it's not enough. Paul is pointing the Philippian church to uh, understanding that you need a changed, transformed heart so uh, you can enjoy thankfulness. You can enjoy rejoicing and living a life that is joyful and contentment and being generous because you know all that you have. Paul brings up contentment beginning in verse 11. I'm not speaking of being in need. And he uses two phrases. I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And then halfway through verse 12, he says, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says he's learned this contentment. It's not this automatic thing that you have. This is, this is a learned thing. And he writes two ways contentment is learned. In verse 10, I have learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. Uh, think of this as like the rule book of contentment. Uh, think of uh, understanding the game of soccer. And what you do is you sit down with books and you read everything about soccer. And you know the rules in and out. But you've never played soccer that's the next phrase. I've learned the secret. He's, learning, he's talking about the experiential way of once you learn the rules of soccer, then to actually be on the field to play soccer is a whole new thing. And I think this is a struggle of many people, especially many Christians. We know the rules of contentment, but you put us in a place where we actually have to uh, extend that and practice that in our own life, and we hate it, and we grumble, and we complain, because it's not at all like reading the rule book. Paul's saying these are two ways that you need to learn contentment. You need to understand the rules of contentment, and you need to then practice this contentment in reality. So it's not just intellectual knowledge, but it's real Practice. Practicing the art of contentment. God set up the world in all of this beauty to not satisfy us. God set up the world in all of its beauty to not satisfy us, but to create this longing of there has to be something more. Stephen Aldridge says, uh, we won't be fully satisfied when we get what we want. Because God loves us and wants us to find our satisfaction in him, we won't 
He won't allow us to be satisfied, to believe that he'll finally, we'll finally be happy when we get what we want is a lie. If, if that is your belief that if you finally reach that point, then you will be happy, that is a lie that you are after. I uh, have a family member, I guess, ex-family member, complicated family, like many of you, who uh, their goal is to live off uh, the interest of the interest of all of their money. And that is their pursuit, to live off the interest of the interest of all of their money. We will not be happy when we get what we want, because they're will always be something more. So contentment then has to do with something not just having to do with our circumstances. There's another part of contentment we must be missing. What are some marks of true contentment? Someone whose his heart is secured in Christ alone. That's at the core of a biblical understanding of contentment. Not by your circumstances. You have a heart that is uh, silent and at rest. We all have things to complain about and grumble about. Every single one of us. Well, when you are grumbling in that, um, the best person to grumble to is God. Because what Hopefully what that turns into is not just grumbling, but it's prayers of God, help me. Give me wisdom. The more dangerous thing to do is to not grumble to God, but grumble about God to other people. God's not really who he says he is. Because if he was, I would have everything I wanted. And that shows, actually, your really bad theology a patient heart, that's part of contentment. Waiting on God's timing, not just your own timing. Verse 12 says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. This is actually how this church was planted. In Acts 16, we have this story of Lydia. Do you remember? I brought this up a few times. Lydia, uh, the seller of purple goods in the Philippian church, a wealthy woman, invites Paul to her house. And I imagine they had a wonderful meal. Abundance. And then what happens? Uh, Paul and Silas leave. They're publicly beaten, dragged through the marketplace, dragged into prison, and shackled. Paul goes from abundance to need. So when Paul talks about, I have learned to be content in all things, this is what he's talking about. And the Philippian church knows, oh, yeah, I remember Paul. I remember when he was in Lydia's house, he had everything. And then he was dragged through town, and he had nothing. Paul was content. And what did Paul do? Paul and Silas, they prayed and they sang hymns together. 
And God uses, this is all in Acts, six, Acts chapter 16, Paul uses that situation of Paul and Silas being in prison to minister to the Philippian jailer, and the Philippian jailer comes to Christ. So Paul goes from abundance to brokenness to rejoicing that the Philippian jailer comes to Christ. And why did that happen? How did that happen? Because Paul was put in prison. And he was content in that. Imagine if Paul and Silas were in prison and they just took that time to complain and vent and yell and scream. Do you think that Philippian jailer would have any interest in saying, tell me about this Messiah you're talking about? No, because their contentment actually came out. In the midst of prison, they could rejoice because they knew their life was greater than this time in this prison. Finding contentment in times of prosperity is much harder than finding contentment in times of need. Finding contentment when there's abundance is much harder because you still have, you have so many options. But finding contentment when you have nothing is a lot easier because you've been stripped of anything you could find contentment in in your circumstance. You really don't have many options when everything has been stripped. Uh, as a kid, I grew up in a divorced home and dramatically different homes. So I lived in one uh, home, I mean like families I lived with my parents. So I lived in one and we had everything. Pool in the backyard, we had a cook, we had someone come clean the house, everything. And then when I lived with my other parent, we had nothing. Never remember getting clothes. I remember eating rice all the time. And it was a treat when we got cinnamon and sugar on a rice. That was how I grew up. It's not as dramatic as Paul's, but it's a little dramatic. As a kid, though I have not learned how to be content, I feel like that upbringing gave me a really good perspective of even if I have all the money I could ever ask for, it's not going to bring contentment. I remember when I lived in, um, with one parent in poor areas, I remember in this apartment complex, horrible part of town, uh, neighbor guy, he was probably, I don't know, in his 30s maybe, he taught me how to pick locks. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember it, sadly. Um, but that was like, I don't know where my parent was, gone. Um, but so I learned that, which is great. Um, but true contentment is really summed up in the question, is Jesus enough? Paul at Lydia's house in a wonderful meal, is Jesus enough? We would all, sitting there around that table, we'd all say, yes. Jesus is enough because look at this meal. Beaten and imprisoned, publicly humiliated. Paul and Silas, is Jesus enough? 
remember years ago, it was probably 15 years ago, I was a youth pastor, and there was a girl who was graduating from high school, going to college. Uh, she grew up in the same house. She grew up at the same church. She grew up with uh, the same people around her. Um, everything was consistent. And she was going to college, and she was scared that she wouldn't have all of these things. And she sat down, and we talked, and she wanted a promise that uh, you will meet people. You know, you will have good friends. You will find a good church. You will be successful. And I remember as we talked, I said, I don't even know. You could actually have no friends at the end of your year. I'm a really good encourager, aren't I? You could have no friends. It could be a horribly hard, breaking experience for you. But it really comes down to, is Jesus enough? And you might find that out. This is what I was telling her in this first year of college. We all want the promise that because I'm in Christ, God's going to provide everything I need. But that's not the promise. The promise is that Jesus is enough. And contentment is an issue of your heart. Psalm 4, 7 says, You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Paul is content whether he has abundance or whether he is lacking. How is your understanding of contentment, our understanding of contentment, really immature? Paul moves on from this and he um, says this verse, which I think is one of the most quoted verses after a sports victory, okay? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul's talking about circumstances. Uh, I don't know if you guys read the Babylon Bee. It's like the onion. Okay, good. A couple readers out there who enjoy really good literature. <clears throat> They had a, uh, I'm going to read this whole thing because it's funny. Because I have a little Mini Cooper, and uh, it mentions a Mini Cooper in here. So I'm going to read this whole thing. This is about a, uh, the title is, Worship Leader Invokes uh, Philippians 4.13 to Get Into His Skinny Jeans. Okay? When worship leader Brad Hotbox Jackson found himself in the uncomfortable predicament of being unable to fit into his size 30 Levi 513 skinny jeans Sunday morning, it's fine if you wear skinny jeans. Don't be offended by that. Um, the guitar vocalist reportedly invoked God's promise in Philippians 4.13 that he could do all things through Christ who strengthens him, including squeezing into pants that are three sizes too small. And he prays, God, I just come before you, God, Jackson reportedly prayed in his prayer closet, which doubles as a walk-in closet full of latest designer clothes. I ask you now, Father God, to help me do all things through him who strengthens me. Please, God, let me squeeze in to these ultra-slim puppies just this once so I can glorify you at the worship experience today. Jackson later reported that after reciting the magic words from the fourth chapter of Philippians, a miracle happened and he was able to slip into the jeans as though they were my actual size. 
God wouldn't give us more than we can handle, Jackson told his wife. With a smile as they got into their Mini Cooper to head to church, according to sources. But can you drive, his wife asked. I don't think I can bend my knees to operate the pedals correctly. I think it's really funny. Uh, but we see that verse and we think, yeah, like God's, God wants us to do this miraculous, victorious things. It's in the context of being content. Paul's saying, I can do all things. I can be content in prison. In Christ who strengthens me. And he says, I can be content in Lydia's house in abundance because of God's strength. God is the one who provides. And how does God provide? Another way that God provides is the fellowship of the church. And that's another question. Can you be content with the fellowship, the people of God that God has provided for you? Because we can all think that everything could get better, these people could get better, but the real thing is God has placed you here. And God has placed you here to work on things in your heart. What happens in this is the, uh, in verse 15, uh, Paul's saying, and you Philippians yourselves know that at the beginning of the gospel, when I was at left Macedonia, he says, no church entered into partnership with, with me, giving and receiving except you only. What does your contentment look like when you get a no? Can you be content with that? Is Jesus really enough when you are told no? Paul goes on to specifically thank the Philippian church for their generosity. But read how he thanks them. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What he's after is them growing in uh, the, the character of generosity and being joyful and rejoicing and being thankful. Paul is continually concerned about the spiritual growth of this church. Generosity is one of the fruits of a maturing believer and a maturing church. Now, generosity with our time, finances, uh, with our listening, whatever it is, generosity with our words, uh, this is not faithfulness. This is generosity. This is extending beyond that. God has placed each of you right where you are. How will you learn contentment right where you are? Because many times our prayer is, God, I would love to learn contentment somewhere else. Somewhere else with other people, another job, another house, different family, whatever it is. God, if you would give me that, I would deeply learn contentment. It would be a conviction. And I'd be known as the contentment person. But God has put you exactly where you are to learn contentment. Whatever your struggle is, God has put that there to help shape you and mold you to be content in Christ alone. Whether you are in a season of abundance or whether you are in a season of lack, 
God wants you to understand what it means to be content in him. And then he closes this book, To Our God and Father, We glorify forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The community that God has provided around you is also one of the tools God will use to teach you contentment. But all these circumstances are worthless until we see the core of our life in light of union with Christ. That is where contentment exists, in our union with Christ. Contentment is not the aim. Generosity is not the aim. Rejoicing is not the aim. Uh, Grasping union with Christ, getting uh, an intellectual understanding of what is union with Christ, and then the actual experience of living in union with Christ. This whole letter of, the, of Philippians is to point the church to Jesus and his grace. Paul's writings to this church rests in Jesus' grace, receives Jesus' grace, rejoices in the grace of Jesus. And that is where contentment lies. It is not in your circumstance. Contentment is in Christ alone. So Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago. What he writes about contentment applies to us today. It's not like we need something different to be content in. What does contentment look like, feel like? What uh, What is the experience of contentment for you? It is in Christ alone. Won't you pray with me? Most gracious God, uh, we many times are not content because you do not do what we think you should. And uh, God, we ask that you would realign us to understand that you are God over all things. Give us the strength to lean into Christ more than we lean into our circumstance for contentment. Give us wisdom to know uh, you and to rest in you for peace and joy. We pray as we come to the Lord's table this morning that you would remind us that Jesus is enough, that you would increase our faith and uh, we would know, not just in our head, but in our heart, uh, the contentment of peace and peace of resting in Jesus alone. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. As we come to the Lord's 